Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Perspectivity. In this episode, we're going to walk through the life experience of Giselle. Now you're gonna notice right from the beginning of this episode that it gets heavy. Right before we shot this episode, she asked us, are you ready for some heavy shit? And we invited her in to tell us all of her life experience in whatever way she possibly could. And I can tell you, it does get heavy. It gets emotional. We do talk about rape and we do talk about violence and we do talk about what it's like to feel really distraught about your life story and what brought you into this world. And at the same time, we learn about meaning and courage and overcoming that and incorporating those tough experiences into a life story that empowers you to not only create a better life for yourself, but for people around you. This is a heavy episode. I invite you to stay curious and really sit with this episode because there's so much that we can learn from Giselle today. Thank you. Stay curious. So um, I instinctually want to start with my mother's story because it contextualizes the role that she played in my life. Um, so my mom was born in Paris and she's Chilean. My whole family is Chilean. And the reason that she was in Paris is because her dad was, um, a Dean of physics in Chile and he was blacklisted as a leftist during the Pinochet dictatorship. Um, so they fled the country. They were in they went all over Europe, but they were in Paris when my mom was born. She was there till she was five. Um, when she was, I think, like three or four, she was hit by a car. She suffered brain damage. Um, she permanently damaged the part of her brain responsible for memory. Uh, she had to kind of relearn the ABCs, who her family was. Um... And then they moved back to Chile and the, the dictatorship was still going on. And so growing up, um, as you can imagine, her parents were under financial duress, psycho psychological duress. Her dad couldn't get work anywhere. Um, and her mom was very abusive to her. And she had an older brother and her mom would set her brother against her physically and psychologically. Um, she grew up, when she grew up, she was part of the res underground resistance. Uh, she, she watched friends of hers get set on fire in the streets. Um, her dog was killed by the, the state police. Uh, she literally risked her life every day uh, in this movement against the dictator. So, in her house, it was a warfare. Out of her house, it was also a warfare. Um, and then when you couple that with, you know, the early trauma that she suffered, her parents really made her believe that she was kind of like permanently disabled for the rest of her life. Whether that's true or not, I don't think it's true. But she really believes that. Um, so... She was in her late 20s when she was dating this guy. His name is Ed. And she was 
raped by her boss during this time. And she became pregnant and she wasn't sure if it was Ed's or her boss's. And even though Ed knew she, she was open, this is, you know, the story of events as I was told, um, even though she knew or he knew that it might not be his, he still wanted a kid. And he was like, come to the U.S., you know, I'll provide for you. He just kind of painted this, like, picket fence, Labrador dog-like story. Um, Ed signed the birth certificate. He's my dad. And then they later learned he's not my biological dad. Um, and so she came to the U.S. with me in her arms as a, as a infant. Um, just really believing in the Amer American dream, right? And of course, you know, there's a saying like, no matter where you go, that's where you are. So of course she didn't escape all of her like psychological baggage. Um, it just kind of followed her and she found out that my dad, so I call him my dad, even though he's not my blood dad, he's, he's my dad. Um, they had a really tumultuous relationship he definitely wasn't the provider that he painted himself as. Um, he kind of set, this is according to my mother again, <laughs> with a grain of salt, but he kind of set his family against my mom, which makes sense because my mom was problematic, had a lot of problematic behavior. Um, and so, yeah, they, they had a violent relationship. They divorced when I was four. Uh, I... My mom was always so intent to keep her children by her side, even though she wasn't very capable of providing for us. So I, like my early childhood is in like women's shelters. Um, and then she would kind of fall into like relationship after relationship and the guys would like provide for her and her kids. Um, so yeah, I have like, I feel like I've repressed most of my childhood and the memories that I have are not happy ones and I just remember like my earliest memories are like my mom just like sobbing and me not understanding why she just was very depressed and really struggled with mental illness growing up when I was growing up um and um when I was 14 she started to get really abusive. Um, she was physically abusive, emotionally abusive. My dad was not much better, but he never got violent with me. It was just all like psychological. Um, and yeah, I felt like a burden growing up. And I felt like I was constantly trying to balance like the toll that my existence held towards my parents, if that makes sense. Um, so like me knowing that I was the product of rape made me feel like I needed to be this like extraordinarily good force in the world in order to offset that. Um, so when I was 15, like the abuse kind of peaked and 
I was suicidal. I was failing out of school. Um, and I think, I think my mom knew that she had to do something dramatic or that I was going to die. And, um, she sent me to Chile to live with my aunt, my uncle. Um, I lived there for a year and that was a really cool experience for me. Um, my aunt placed a lot more structure in my life than I had had up, up to that point. I was kind of like, it was like my mom was like arbitrarily extremely angry with me. was always kicking me out of the house, but I never had any like, you know, like rationale behind why she was angry, you know? So I never had an opportunity to learn about, you know, things that mattered to her, I guess. Um, and I was able to see a healthy relationship by seeing my aunt and my uncle interact. And I realized that not all relationships are like tumultuous and, you know, like a bomb. Um, and it was there also that I started to explore my spirituality. Um, I was baptized Catholic as a, as a baby. I grew up going to Christian schools. Um, when I was 14, I cut something clicked in my head, I guess, like, just like my autonomy and my self-awareness. And I was just like, I don't think any of this is real. So I started to read about all the different religions out there. And I really liked Buddhism and Buddhism helped me cope through everything that I had gone through. It just offered kind of a, a way to, uh, a way to process in a healthy way. Um, so yeah, I feel like I just kind of like floated through life in this like very bohemian way because I wasn't home very often up until that point. But then when I was home, she was like so angry at me all the time. And then when I went to my aunt's house, it was like, you have to be home by nine o'clock and make your bed and shit, you know what I mean? But she didn't scream at me. Um, so then uh, I wanted to stay in Chile and my dad did not want me to. And I moved back and life was still the same as I had left it, you know. And um, my stepdad actually, who I'm moving in with soon, um, I, moved it, I moved back from Chile into that house and they were arguing all the time. And finally he had had enough and he was like, get the fuck out of my house. He put a restraining order on her. And he's like, your children can stay, but you have to go. And like I said, my mom was always, that was the one overriding theme was like, my children are by my side. So even though my mom had no income, she had no savings, um, she, did not want us to stay there. And that's something that I resented her for a long, for a long time. And we were essentially homeless. Um, we moved into like the garage of this family's house. It really, really sucked as you can imagine. And then they had enough of us and then we had to scatter. It was me, my brother and my mom. And we each, you know, just did what we could to get by. I, I ended up staying with a lot of just kind strangers that wanted to help out. Um, I stayed with my 
psychology teacher for a bit. Um, I'll never forget that moment where I was in psychology class, like on the verge of tears, not knowing where I was going to live like tomorrow. And she pulls me out of the class. She's like, what's wrong? She listens to me. She's this tiny little old lady, Catholic lady. And it was just like, there wasn't even time. She didn't even need to think about it. She was just like, you're coming to my house. And her kindness just impacted me so thoroughly. And I was just like, this is who I have to be in my life, you know, like, like a compelling force. Um, and, uh, so I think that's been a theme in my life. It's just like very kind people in my childhood, helping me out, seeing what I was going through and inspiring me to be like them. Um, and yeah, so I moved around a lot. I, I moved around maybe like 16 times in two years, three years, something like that. And in a way, I feel like it made me really adaptive. Um, it made me really open-minded to different ways of life. Um, and also, I think I kind of gave a lot of thought as an adolescent to how to be likable because it was a survival mechanism. Um, and what else? I went to community college after high school. Um, I studied liberal arts. I didn't really know what I wanted to study. I took an economics class and I really loved it. And then I decided that I like math and money was this thing that like eluded my family and they were like constantly complaining about how there's no money and like taking care of you is so expensive and we're, so I just, I guess I made that my narrative and I was like, if I'm going to learn something it's going to be money and I'm going to make it work for me and not against me and then I'm going to help other people make sure it works for them and not against them um so I went to Rutgers Business School I studied finance um I took some time off from college because I I got offered a full-time job being a housing advisor after Hurricane Sandy happened in New Jersey so as a housing advisor, I helped people get, like, grant money to rebuild their homes. Um, and then went back to college. Um, my internship was in San Francisco. Uh, I, I interned at BlackRock, which is the largest asset management firm in the world. Um, and that was actually a really hard summer for me because I – had just gotten out of a very toxic relationship that I I was in for like three years and my best friend was supposed to go with me to San Francisco and at last minute she got cold feet and her way of dealing with it was not the best and she was just like I don't want to talk about it I'm not going and then we just like stopped talking so like that summer was like one of adventure and exploration but also of grief and loss um I really loved just like experiencing all the wackiness of San Francisco, all the different kinds of people. Um, I walked a half hour to work every morning and I lived in Tenderloin, which is like the sh like sketchiest 
cheapest area. I lived in like a literal like closet, <laughs> slept in a closet. Uh, and it was so cool because I like would walk past homeless people like shooting up at like six in the morning and then walk to like the financial district, which is like literally San Francisco financial district, like one of the richest areas in the world, you know? So I don't know, that dichotomy was super interesting to me. Um, and, uh, Black Rock was like a culture shock to me. You know, I was like a, a little kid from, I grew up in like a ghetto small town, um, and being around these people who like, I don't know, like did Iron Man for fun and like skied in the Alps and shit. I just did not connect with them. Um, so that did not, I did not get a return offer. <laughs> um, and, uh, what else? Graduated from college. During college, I was trained as a peer counselor and I worked for their suicide hotline for two years. And um, I found that to be very rewarding. Um, and uh, after college, I worked as a financial advisor. I wanted to, you know, like be a financial counselor basically. And um, I picked the wrong company. It will not be named. <laughs> but uh, it was basically one of those like burn insurance where they like hire a bunch of incoming freshmen and they like, you know, amp them up to bring in new business, but then they don't pay out for it. And I was broke. I, I was working for free essentially for them for a year while working two other jobs. And um, that's another thing is like, I've had so many different kinds of jobs in my life. And like, I'm not ashamed to admit that I've, you know, have done so many different things. Like I, I've been a server and um, a go-go dancer and um, I don't know, like a shot girl bartender with, along with financial advisor, I sold chocolate, like just random shit, um, just trying to get by. And um, realizes that it was, I realized that it was just like, you know, the income situation was just untenable and um, quit that. Worked for a bank as a temp, did really menial work, but like did it to the best of my ability and um, made friends with my boss and um, they, had, they let me go at the end of the contract. They like didn't have the resources to hire me full time or so they said. And I, I got a remote job um, working in like logistics for clinical trials. And um, it was around that time that I met Miles. Um, it's a really cool story about how I met Miles. So I go to the Philadelphia Folk Festival every year. And this past year was my 10th year. I'm like obsessed with it. And I have a basically like, you know, your family, your chosen family. I have a chosen family that I camp with every year. Um, and one year he was in California, but his dad and his two brothers were camped next to our campsite. And like, I just went up to them and I was just like, hey, you want a beer? You know, like, feel free to come hang out with us. And they stuck around and then they showed up the next year and the next year. And then like they came like four years or something. And I became really good friends with his dad and he was still in California. And then his dad invited all of us um, 
to his house in Virginia for like a spring break and Miles was back from California and that's how I met him. Um, I convinced him to move to Philadelphia. We lived in Philadelphia together for a couple years. Um, and then the pandemic hit and um, it was around that time that I started getting into coaching also um, because I just realized like I've been reading so much about how to self-improve and psychology and meditation and Buddhism and I was able to, you know, like transform my pain and my suffering into like happiness and I just wanted to share that with other people um and so because of the pandemic like I said earlier we moved to Virginia and um I'm very much like I love nature but I'm a city girl like I love the opportunities that a city has and the buzz and the variety and all the people and I'm definitely um someone who derives energy from community um and it was really it was a culture shock to come from that to here like on top of you know we're not supposed to see anyone because of the pandemic but then even if I wanted to see anyone I didn't really have anyone to see aside from him and his family and his few high school friends and I realized that I didn't feel truly seen here. Um, I felt like I was, you know, Miles' sidekick. I was like his girlfriend. I wasn't Giselle. Um, even, it's actually crazy. Like, I feel like today I had a breakthrough moment because his mom never invited me by name and never called me to invite me. It was always just like, Miles are having this thing, like, bring whoever you want, you know? And so I really struggled because I am such a personable person. And, like, that's what I need in return. And I just felt invisible. Um, and I definitely think that I brought out some, you know, attachment wound issues um, of feeling neglected. Uh, I, during the pandemic, I found painting as a way to pass the time. And like, I adore painting. Um, I liken it to like feeling like you're like underwater for too long and then you come up and you breathe. That's painting to me. It brings me tears. <laughs> um, and uh, I started making music with him and his brother, and we made a bunch of really fun music. So there's definitely some positives that came out of the pandemic, but again, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, it's like, again, a lot of exploration, inner exploration, a lot of inner adventure, but also a lot of grief and loneliness. Yeah, so, I mean, like we were talking about before, like, this has taught me a lot about when I need to adapt to the circumstances versus when I need to change the circumstances. I really, really tried to make it about me. And I like finally came to the conclusion that like there's a focus on 
it's very individualistic here, this culture. That's how I interpret it. Um, I'm very collaborative and I'm just not around people that want to share that with me. And that's been really, really hard for me. Um, but I, I've been in event planning and in Philly, I was the president of a suicide prevention nonprofit and I held these fundraisers with a team of people and I was really fucking good at it. And, um, when I got here, I stopped doing that for a while, but then I recently met someone who, um, you know, was just on the same page as me and we threw a retreat, my first wellness retreat and we did it here. And it was really, really nice. It was like one of the happiest days of my life. Um, so like I find these pockets where I am making the best of it and like life is really good. Um, but on the whole, like there's just so much more for me than this town. And I really wanna travel the world. Um, I have a remote job, so I'm able to, and I'm going to Germany um, in like two weeks. And I'm going there for a month. I'm going to go to Amsterdam. I'm going to go to Belgium. Um, and I decided that I'm going to save some money and live in Jersey for like nine months. And then in September, I'm going to embark on a six-month trip and go to one country per month. Um, and yeah, we'll see what the rest of life has in store for me. What do you think of the American dream? Your mom came here with the idea that it was gonna do a lot. And honestly, when you said that, that hit me very deep. The first thought that went to my head, I recently took my own survey and I had to identify how well I feel like my life story aligns with what's expected of an American's life story. For the first time, I realized it aligned extremely well. Hmm. And it made me feel good. I had an idea of the American dream and I've lived it and I couldn't believe it. But then I heard your story, but all I thought was, as an American, we need to make this a place where that dream is alive and real. Mm -hmm. What do you think of the American dream concept? I think that, um, I think in America there is more social mobility than a lot of, and financial mobility than in a lot of the rest of the world. But um, I don't think it's, truly a place where poor people get rich. You have to have money to make money. Um, for example, I was homeless at 15. I make almost 100000 a year now. That would not have been possible if my aunt didn't shell out thousands of dollars for my college. Um, I think of other people, you know, there are some people that really inspire me. For example, I have a friend who started out like owning a pizza shop and now he owns like several multi-million dollar businesses but he had an entrepreneurial dad who gave him that first pizza shop you know so I think like there's no such thing as rags to riches without someone along the way injecting capital into that um or whatever it may be even like even a safety net right like and that safety net comes with affluency. So, for example, someone like Miles, he comes from 
an affluent background, he could very well, like, rough it right now and pursue his dream to be a musician. But he knows that if he fails, he's got a home, steady home to go back to. And his parents would never let anything really bad happen to him. And they can afford that luxury, right? So while America is definitely great, I love America, um, I don't really believe in this, like, pull yourself up by your bootstraps mentality. I'll ask a very challenging question. Mm -hmm. If a common mantra is pull yourself up by your bootstraps, what do you think the real mantra is? Of America? Mm -hmm. Work smarter than everyone else if you want to be somebody. Mm. I heard a theme of competition built within that. What do you think of that? Yeah, I mean, we live in capitalist America, 100%. It's a competition. Thinking about it as being a competition, how do you parse that with your deep need for collaboration and your deep desire Mm. to have community? That's a really good question. I mean, I think the best teams bring out a competitive spirit. Um... It's not so much like, let me step on your head to get above, right? Although I'm sure some people interpret it that way. But for me personally, it's like, let's push one another to be the best possible version of ourselves and may the best man or woman win. What do you think should happen to the people who don't win? What should happen to them? I don't think anything should happen to them. (laughs) um that's I mean that's such an ambiguous question um I think we as a society should be held responsible for those of us who are struggling um I think a society is only as strong as our weakest in my version of reality I'm competitive and I'm also supportive. I want other people to succeed, but I also want to be the best version of myself and see where that takes me. So it's like you can compete to do well and even bring out the best of yourself. And at the same time, you can provide support for the people who aren't winning that competition. Yeah. That safety net that you mentioned someone in your life experiencing that allows them to go push themselves to be their best and not win in the competition, it would be better if we had that for, am I reading this right? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Like give give people the opportunity to shoot for what it is that they love. And I think that makes rational sense as a society because if we allow other people to do that, if we give them the opportunity to do that, you're going to have the hardest working people in society if they're shooting for what they love. You know, um, and that's going to drive innovation and happiness and all that good stuff. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I I feel like I I don't really like where we're going as a society right now where we like tend to see um, we tend to see social safety nets as like a suck. Right. 
um, like a, it's like a, this like succubus from I don't know people that are harder working, more capable, whatever. I feel like you may be like talented, you may be intelligent, you may be hardworking, um, you may be all of those things, but when it comes down to it, the only thing that separates you from the the people that are less capable is luck. Um, you just happen to be born in the right place at the right time, and those abilities happen to be fostered. What do you think, as a society, what do you think America could do over the next 10 years to improve, to become its best version of itself? It has to be like a profound a profound cultural shift away from production and consumerism. Um, I think we all should journey inward. I think we should all develop more self-compassion and awareness, and I think that is going to ripple externally and create a better society, and it would resolve, you know, like climate change, for example. You know, in the Reagan era, they called it trickle-down economics. What I just heard is trickle-out economics. <laughs> it's just out of us will come the good. That's yeah. really beautiful. I'd like to ask you, the current state of your life, if we were peering into the book, we're reading it right now, mm -hmm. this is the current uh, part of your life, what would you title this chapter right now that you're in and why? going to title it Returning to Self. Uh, I'm returning to my community. I'm returning to being single. Um, I'm returning to my priorities. What is a core value or life lesson that you aspire to live your life by? A core value of mine is compassion Because, to me, it is the essence of goodness. And it improves the lives of everyone. A core value of mine is authenticity. Because it is the essence of truth. And it provides clarity and joy 